0: What's up, Metiches? You are maybe watching or listening because we're, we're doing another video one for this one to Como La Flor con Flor. And today I actually have two guests. I have Diana and Divia. So in previous segments, I shared with you all that I became a co-author for today's Inspired Young Latina volume four. And I was actually able to meet Diana in one of the co-author. Um, meetings that we had so and Diana, I think I actually talked a little bit about you but I didn't say your name in the last one that I I did so in one of the segments that I did maybe like a week or two ago I mentioned that I had met all these women from different parts of corporate America and I was very excited to meet some engineers and just listening to everyone's story was very inspiring to me being in higher education, I'm surrounded by women 24-7, so it was a very cool experience to be meeting women in other industries, especially male-dominated ones. So we were texting the other day, and I asked Diana if she would be a guest in my podcast because I'm like, why not? You know, that's what it's there for. And she agreed. It was literally yesterday or Friday, and here we are today today. Uh, and she actually brought a colleague from her field. We have Divya here too, so we're. I'm just curious. Like, well, one when I was trying to schedule this with Diana, it seemed like it's it's a very difficult task to get some free time from your job. <laughs> so, what does a week in engineering look like?
1: Well, first of all, um, we're in two different fields of engineering. So I'm mechanical engineering, Divya's in civil engineering, so she can talk a little bit about what she does in her field and I can talk a little bit about what I do in my field, but I guess in mine, I'll let
2: you go, bibia if you want to <laughs> go on. Sure, sure, yeah. So I am a civil engineer, like Diana said. Um, I work for the Michigan Department of Transportation. I'm technically a transportation engineer, so I deal with all things kind of roads, highways, bridges um things of the like Uh, my department also has you know an aeronautics division and deals with passenger transit and rail and stuff like that too but i am mostly on the road and bridge design side of things Um, you know it's a good question you ask about you know or you brought up about the scheduling and like work-life balance of it all that was a really important kind of thematic element for me when i entered the industry I have a tendency to kind of overwork which is something you'll probably learn from a lot of women engineers because we're always trying to like prove ourselves and like make sure that you know people are um people have a reason to believe that we belong there but um I did a lot of that through high school and college I went to Michigan State University like Diana and um I told myself when I go to my career, my professional career, I need to have work-life balance. And if I don't force myself to have that, I'm never going to have it. And I'm just going to run the rat race for the rest of my life. And there are other things that are important to me, like my friends and my family and stuff like that. And I'd like to make time for those people. So my scheduling might be a little bit different than Diana's, but... um, I work a pretty standard. I, um, you know, go into work at, you know, 7, 7.15. Most mornings I work in Detroit and I leave the job usually around 4 or 4.30, depending on the day. Sometimes it's 5, sometimes it's 3.30, but I luckily work for an organization that really values people's personal lives as well. And that was really important to me. So as far as what I do for work, I um, mostly manage consultant contracts for road design jobs. So I'm a, I'm a little baby project manager since I started in the industry about two years ago. But um, in the winter, that's just a lot of meetings, honestly, to, to be frank. Um, research meetings, working through the design process on roads and bridges. And then during the summertime, that might be supplemented with being out in the field uh, during the construction of those jobs and kind of providing oversight as those things are being built to make sure that the plans are um, being executed correctly. So I guess that's my week. I work Monday through Friday, um, occasionally, maybe on the weekend if something needs to get done. But like I said, that work-life balance is really
0: important to me. So, Thanks for that. So... Ooh, that sometimes weekends thing just hits my soul. <laughs>
2: <laughs> In education, I I fear that happens a lot, right?
0: Not for me because your girl here does not volunteer for anything anymore. I I decided I think a year ago that I was not going to be volunteering for anything, anything work related. Um, y'all better pay me for my time <laughs> at this point. But when you go to work on the weekends, you get paid for it, right? Or is yes, it Saturday? Yep.
2: No, no, no. I get paid overtime. Um, Certain positions as you move up in the ranks are not um, overtime eligible, but then they won't really make you work overtime in those scenarios. So, um, but yes, you do get compensated for your time. That was all very important to me as well. So, yeah, no, none of that. None of that (laughs) (laughs) rework.
0: Right. What about you, Diana?
1: I would say similar to Divya, I think that it's it was going in i guess i didn't really realize how much um, i've i've been told that i'm a workaholic but i think mainly because i grew up working so i didn't i've never known something different from it so i think that that's where that comes into play a lot or just the way growing up and i don't know if i know and DBS culture is also very similar to our um culture but i'm mexican and i Forgot to introduce myself. So <laughs> um, I work for General Motors as an, a mechanical engineer, but technically I'm under conveyor engineering. So we specialize in conveyors, anything that transports the vehicle from one place to the other. So I work in, at, at an assembly plant in Lansing. Um, and I think that that was one of the biggest things that I saw reoccurring from like my family members that like were concerned that I was going into the field um, as full time, they would consistently tell me like, "Hey, make sure you're you take it easy. You don't overwork yourself or whatever." So I guess they kind of realized <laughs> that I I tend to do that a lot. Um, with school or whatever activity that I end up doing, it's always like nonstop, and I don't know how to keep track of my personal time versus when I need to focus on something that has is work or school related. But I think that that's something that I definitely it brought to perspective towards like graduation and, and coming into the field. I think that I didn't really realize that I was doing it. Like I, I guess unconsciously I kind of did, but I didn't really want to accept it. Um, and I think that it was just knowing that I was going into a field that was very demanding because I am in manufacturing. So I did acknowledge that I'd be potentially working holidays, weekends um, just because it's the nature of the job. But to be frankly, I I don't know if I, I wouldn't say I don't like it because I guess I'm already used to the fast pace, but I definitely do see the benefits of taking care of yourself, your, well, your mental health and all of that. So I definitely learned that in college when I needed, when my body asked me to slow down because I didn't do it myself until it, it made me. But I think that in the sense of the company that I work for, I think they, they really do like drill down, you need to make sure you take care of yourself, you need to make sure that you have some type of balance. And one of the things that I heard, because I usually join like random meetings for either GM women or GM Latino, one of the things that I did see was that work-life balance doesn't necessarily mean like, you're gonna be half the day at work and half the day <laughs> at home, you know, it's, it's kind of more like on a needed basis. So, so like maybe today you'll work 10, 12 hours, but maybe tomorrow you'll only, you'll come in later. You can come in an hour or two later. You know, it's it kind of varies. Some days are longer than others, but I think that usually it's not like a constant thing. I, t- I try to think about it like school. Like usually it's not bad until like finals are around the corner and you're just like trying to get everything in that you didn't learn all semester. <laughs> so I think it's similar to that where it's like, the holidays and weekend project work and stuff like that, it's like where you're going to probably most likely be working longer hours, but it's not like during the work week you have like to work those full hours all along. So it's it's pretty balanced in my sense, or at least how I see it. I know a lot of people <laughs> don't see it that way, but I mean, we you got to do what you got to do to feed your family. So that's how I see 100%. it.
0: When you started college, did you start, did you start college with the intention of going into engineering or did you start off with something else and then you landed on engineering?
1: Yeah. So I personally didn't even know what engineering was. I kind of just, I knew it was like a quick return on investment in that sense of like, you're going to get a job that's paid well, most likely, or you have the ability to have a job that pays well. Um, and my family has always been like economically not or financially not stable. So I, I that was like my main goal was to get a job that could help my family, regardless whether I liked it or not. And I knew that I was proficient in math and science or whatever, and that's usually what they tell like, oh, if you're good in math or science, it's like you can do engineering. I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> true because a lot of people still struggle, and I definitely struggled. But I think that I went into something and I'm very stubborn, which actually your, your shirts of there stupid <laughs> in it, very, I need to get one of those because I feel like I, once I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And sometimes that can get me in trouble because I don't care what the outcome is. Like I have to do it just because I said I was going to do it. And I think that's what happened with my my career. I didn't really veer off to anything. Like I said, I was going to be a mechanical engineer and I was like, I'm going to be a mechanical <laughs> engineer. So That's my story. I don't know, Divya, about you if you were... Yeah.
2: Well, actually, I kind of knew about engineering a little bit prior to the anime mention mentioned to it a little bit earlier. I am actually of Indian heritage. I was born in India and moved here when I was super young. Um, So a lot of the community that I dealt with growing up were Indian Americans and... um, Engineering is a common field. I will say civil engineering, not a common field. And I will kind of get back to that a little bit later. But uh, I was always kind of in the space of like, okay, this is a potential career option for me. I've always been a very creative person. Uh, I'm a dancer, I do Indian classical dance, Uh, think ballet but Indian. <laughs> That's um so I grew up as a dancer. I have always like been a visual artist. I draw and stuff like that. So kind of growing up I wanted to go into a creative field and I thought that I would go into architecture. Um I do have some kind of uh people that I looked up looked up to in the community that were architects from India, and it made sense to me. It, like, used math and science, things that I found interesting with, like, the creativity of drawing and art, and I was like, oh, this makes total sense. I want to be an architect, and then I kind of started getting into trying to figure out where I was going to go to college, what degree programs were. Um, I'm the first person in my family to have gone through the education system in the United States. And so a lot of that applying to college, figuring it out, going through the undergraduate experience in America, a lot of that was, you know, I have a younger sister, but I did it first and I was able to help her through that. She's still in college right now. But um, so when I was doing some research on like what I wanted to do with my life, I had this idea in mind. I wanted a career that kind of blended creativity and like impacting the world around me and like community service with you know, math and science and stuff like that. And um, so I was like, architecture, let me look into those programs. And I found out that those were purely design, purely kind of art school programs. And although I am slightly inclined to those um, subjects, let's say, uh, my, I'm also obsessed with security. And so, like Diana said, um, it's very much a career that screamed like, okay, if you're good at this, if you make it through, like you're gonna have a job. And I don't think I believed in my artistic talent enough to to not be a starving artist. So (laughs) I told myself, okay, let me think about engineering. And I found out that architecture was a art field more than an engineering field here in the United States, unlike in India. And so upon doing some more research, I realized that civil engineering is actually more along the lines of what I wanted to do um, in school. And so I also kind of set on that path and and just stayed on that path. I think that also is probably something you're going to find to be true with a lot of women in STEM is like, we're very goal oriented, I think, from what I have I have seen it's like once we've decided we're gonna do something there's no option other than to follow through and I think some of that might be internal but I think some of that is also um, when you are going into a field where people assume that you're gonna fail um, just because of who you are as a person it kind of makes you want to prove them wrong even more. Um, I had lots of people even in the Indian community tell me oh, civil engineering, that's, like, you have to go out in the field, that's, like, too demanding for a woman, you should consider something more, like, computer science, that way you can, like, stay inside, you don't have to, like, do anything physically demanding, you don't have to go outside, and I'm sure they were well-intentioned, you know, but but there was always that kind of overarching blanket of, like, are you sure you're doing the right thing, (laughs) you know, So, so there was a bit of that, but I was always sure that this is what I wanted to do. And, and I'm glad that I stuck with it because I'm really satisfied with where I am right now.
0: So now I'm curious, what do each of your parents do or what did they do while you were growing up work-wise? Because it sounds like both of you are first gen, going to college, and I always get curious about one generation, what they did to put food on the table versus what the our generation is doing to put food on the table.
2: So I think Diana and, ha- and I have slightly different backgrounds from that regard. My parents did go to college, um, but in India. And so my dad was in the software industry, and my mom actually was a stay-at-home mom after getting a degree. She had me when she was 21, and I was really lucky to have a stay-at-home mom. Um, Her and I are super close as a result, but uh, my parents did end up getting divorced along the line, and that's like another big no-no in the Indian community. But anyway, um, my mom ended up pursuing a career in banking, and she's in banking now. But um, as far as the differences between generations, right? Something that I see with a lot of South Asian or maybe like immigrant parents, um, maybe like overarchingly immigrant parents and their children who have, you know, more experience in the United States, more life experience in the United States, um, slices of the pie. Um, I've noticed that immigrant parents very rarely had a choice in what they had to do they just did it because that's what the world brought them and that was the case in my parents um case as well um even moving to the United States immigrating to the United States is really tough when you're you know not from here (laughs) I think everybody knows that but um so ultimately my parents just had to do what they had to do to like provide my family a good life. And I would say that their not being able to choose resulted in me having the opportunity to choose. And I am so grateful for that, right? Because I got to pursue a career that I wanted, not that I had to do. Um, And sure, yeah, it's, it's, it's a solid career, knock on wood, but I had the option. That's something they didn't have, so. So on my side,
1: I, my parents are both farm workers and I grew up migrating. So they're also migrants. So yeah. we were like a family of migrant farm workers and we constantly moved from Florida to Michigan. Everything. We did um, just about everything. We would come to Michigan to like pick apples. Like that was the main thing. But before the apple season, we would pick like, tomatoes, cucumbers, just about any type of legume. And when we would go back to Florida over there, we did have a, for the longest we rented, you know, over time, finally, they ended up getting a little more established. So they bought a home. But over here in Michigan, they never really bought a home. It was always we always lived in camps. So I don't know if every probably not everyone's familiar with it. But um, like in the apple orchards, usually the farmers will have home housing for the individuals that come and help them to prevent them from like having an excuse to not show up. At least that's how I see it. And maybe because I was, I don't know if that's being ungrateful or not, but I, they definitely took advantage of the situation of, of individuals. Um, and like Divya said, they didn't really have an option. You know, my my family had to do the work. They didn't have any anywhere else to work. And that's that was the, their only option at, at the moment. So they continued to do that over time. So I... I feel like in generational um, terms, I feel like I did have an option in the sense of like choosing what I wanted to do. But I felt I definitely felt the pressure of what I got to choose. Like it wasn't like I was going to choose something that wasn't going to provide financially stability, like financial stability or in the sense of like return on investment quickly, like I needed a job that was going to pay for what I did. Thankfully, I didn't, I didn't, I graduated debt free. So I didn't, I wasn't pressured to like have to pay loans back because that was like, my main objective was, if I'm going to go to school, I shouldn't have to pay for that. Like, in the sense of like my grades and stuff, like if, if my grades or I couldn't pay for it myself, I, I knew I couldn't run back home and ask my mom and dad for for money, they they didn't have it. And it to me, it felt wrong, because it was like, I was taking food from my siblings that were still in the household. So I just didn't feel like I, ha- I know, they would have probably helped me if I really asked for it, they would have done whatever they could. But to me, it was more of, if you're getting yourself into this, you're getting yourself out of it. Um, And so it was mainly that sense of why I chose what I chose. And it wasn't necessarily that it was my passion to become an engineer, but it was definitely something that I did research on in the sense that I knew I could get a quick return on investment. So that that was what drove me to the career that I got. I will say that I, I'm grateful in the sense of like Divya said, they came, they gave me that opportunity. I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity if I was in, in Mexico or um or if they wouldn't have like encouraged me to get an education for them for my family and in Mexican culture for some reason people usually say like it's not like your parents don't want you to go they want you to stay home which to an extent that is kind of true but I think my parents were very open-minded in the sense of like we don't want you to do or go through what we're going through like try to find something that's better for you that's pays better that you don't have to work long days in the sense of breaking your back in weather conditions whether it's raining whether it's extremely hot or cold like you shouldn't have to deal with that when you've already you're in a place that gives more opportunity um so I think that that's also what drove me to try to break that cycle of being a field worker um so I guess mine was a choice but it was more of like a choice that I had to make if that makes sense I don't know how to put it in in other words but I think that's that's mainly what drove me to engineering.
0: The camps that you mentioned that your family had to stay in while you would migrate from Florida to Michigan, was it the housing? Was it like like apartments or what did the condition look like? Um,
1: so the very first camp that I that I can recall, because we my parents used to move like throughout their journey from Florida to Michigan so they would stop um Alabama North Carolina like throughout the whole like by the time they went to Michigan they had already stopped at three other states so it was like a journey for them um over time they kind of just kept it from Florida to Michigan and that was it so that's what I can recall um from that age but the very first one was a trailer and then usually my my I don't know for some reason like and i don't know how to say this in english but nunca se les ha dificultado, like fu- like work extra hard to get like something different from like the typical people where they live in like smaller housing where it's like one room for a family of three or four um so thankfully that first camp my parents were in a trailer for our family like for all of my siblings and myself and then after that they moved to a different so they would go to that same farmer every year um and then eventually the first farmer where my it's just it's kind of complicated because my family like my mom came over here when she was 13 so her family would do that Mm. Um, like so she did it not necessarily growing up because she was I would say married off at a young age um so she kind of stopped doing it and then got back into it when she like ran away from the abusive relationship she was in um that's a story for something else, yeah. <laughs> they um so she would go back and forth in that sense with her family so they already knew that farmer Biddle he went bankrupt or I don't I don't know what the correct terminology is but they kind of stopped doing it and then his son took over when the dad passed away so then that's who we started going to after that and there we lived in a in a it was a it was a barn. Um, and it used to be like, the public place where everybody would go to the restroom. But since he was just starting back up. It was like there was nobody there anymore. So we had like two restrooms and two bathrooms, but it wasn't like a it, it was kind of like they would made it to look like a home. But I don't think that if it was like ever inspected, it wasn't it wasn't conditions like there was mold everywhere. The floors were like, it it wasn't like an actual home. It was kind of like they made it look like a home. And there was like a wall that divided my room, like my siblings room and my parents room. And then it was like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it because it wasn't necessarily a house. It was kind of like, they kind of made it look like a house and they just built over where the restrooms were. And then that's where we would go every year. But I think it was mainly you know, my parents were, it was, it was always about like working and trying to pay attention that you had a job and be grateful for that instead of like, be grateful that they were letting you live there instead of realizing that that was probably not proper living conditions for, especially for kids. So like my mom had, um, her last kids were twins and when they, they were born premature. And so in order for her to take them home, cause they had to be in the incubator in order for her to take them home. They had to go inspect the house that it was proper living conditions. And I think that's when it first clicked that we weren't living in a, an appropriate living conditioned home. Um, but I didn't, I never thought of it like that, you know, you grow up with those conditions. So it's not like you ever see it as, this isn't like, you know, this has been, it became a home to us because we would go every year. Um, and when, they said they were going to go inspect it, like the farmer was not okay with them coming and all of this situation. And my dad's like, well, I'll take care of it. So he started fixing it up to make it look proper so that when the inspector came, they'd allow my siblings to come home. And I think that's when it first clicked to me that we were, it wasn't like an appropriate place to live. But I guess you don't really
0: realize that when you're growing up sounds like that farmer was doing some illegal shit too <laughs> right but you you touched on something um i was looking on instagram the other day and i saw some pictures of these things about toxic positivity and when when i hear and i do this to myself too sometimes where i'll be like oh well things could, could be worse right And I think that's instilled in us because if you were to sit down and hone in on, well, fuck it, like it doesn't matter if things could be worse, it's like terrible right now and try to just like sit in those feelings to validate them. In some cases, like you won't get up from there. So I know there's this whole movement on like mental health and all that, but I feel like in some cases that toxic positivity that they call it like we we need to do that otherwise we wouldn't be resilient we wouldn't have some hope to to push forward and it sounds like your parents were were using that positive uh that toxic positivity but like they didn't have another choice because can you imagine if they were to sit there like oh shit like yeah like the living conditions here suck you know Um, Because, I mean, you're not blind as as you're migrating. You're seeing all these other houses, like actual structured buildings and how people are living. And then you're watching TV or watching the news and you're seeing how people are, are winning the lottery or these commercials on vacation properties. So it's not like you don't see that there's another lifestyle that you can't afford but if you focus on that, on the not having, then you're just going to drown in depression because it's like, shit, like, what am I doing, you know? Um, but are your parents still doing that type of work?
1: Yeah, they still, they still migrate. So they actually now, since this, I, I hate touching on this, but um, when my family, so my father, mother passed away so he ended up leaving and then wasn't he was illegal so he couldn't come back um and so we went through a a rough patch there and the farmer that we were going to when that happened he allowed us to work one more year but then like cut us off because both my uncle and my, my dad were like I guess not that they worked more because I I know my mom and my aunt they're hardworking too but I guess it was like a less one person less working for them so they're like you no know, it's too much to have, basically have us there when they could just get contracted workers um so we they we stopped going to that same camp so now when they come and go they would um they bought an RV so they would live in an RV. And recently they actually, they lived in an RV and it wasn't the best conditions, but like you, like we've been through worse. So it was kind of like, you do what you do to get what you need to get. And that's basically it. But right now when they, well, when they come, they live in an RV or whatever. So yeah,
0: they still do it. So how often do you all see your your families? So with the the work schedule, and then like your family's work, and then I don't know if, um, well, obviously, Diana, your family's like from a lot of different places, right? Um, Divya, are you originally from Michigan? Or did you I've live been, in another state?
2: Well, I've been in Michigan for as long as I can remember. I think the, there were some brief stints where um, early on in my life, but Um, for as long as I can remember yeah I've lived in Michigan and um, as far as like how frequently I can see my family and stuff so um, as it pertained to like seeing my extended family that's one thing I always kind of was a little jealous about growing up when you know people could be like oh you know I went to my grandma's house or I see my cousins I hang out with my cousins all the time Um, that's just not something that I had the opportunity to do because a lot of my family is overseas. And so I'm not all that close to my extended family. Um, my mom, my sister and I are like a solid, solid unit. And my sister goes to school in Indiana and my mom is single and lives alone here in Metro Detroit, um. So I guess to answer your question about how frequently I can see my family, it was really important to me when I did choose a job. A lot of civil engineers at MSU actually end up moving to like Chicago or moving to other parts of the country. But um, it was really important for me to be near my mom because, I mean, she's not particularly old or, and she's in good health, knock on wood. But um you know it's just about being there for her she even though you know she's been divorced and she's lived in america and been far away from her family and all that um she either always had like my sister or i with her and so this is like the first time in her adult life that she's had to live alone um and so i just really wanted to like be there near her so that you know she knew that i was there for her and also it's nice for me to have her near me too. And so um, I see her probably on average, like once a week, she lives like 45 minutes away from me. Um, and I'm really glad that I can. But um, my sister, whenever she comes home from school, which is usually like the bigger breaks, but Um, As far as my extended family, I'm lucky if I can see them every couple years. uh, Maybe the flights to India are expensive. And so um, right now, um, we're really lucky. My grandma is actually staying with my mom for about five or so months. And so actually, she's been here since October. This is the longest I've gotten a chance to spend with my grandma. And she's someone that I really admire. And we talk on the phone all the time when she's not in this country or whatever. But this is the first time in my life that I've actually had a chance to, like, build a bond with my grandma. And I'm really, really uh, appreciative of that.
0: So, yeah. That's awesome. So you've been to India, though, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, Growing up, up till probably about middle school my mom made a really big deal about making sure I got to go over there and see my family and be connected to my culture I speak my language she speaks English just fine but she kind of was like if I don't force you to learn this you're never gonna learn this so if I spoke to her in English growing up she would just ignore me (laughs) so (laughs) um my mom's got a good sense of humor in that way but um yeah, so we went to India a lot when I was younger and then um, around high school it started becoming more sparse and I was lucky if I could go once every couple of years and then the pandemic happened and I haven't been back since so yeah. Um, I had big plans to go in 2020, but those kind of got kiboshed. So (laughs) um, I'd like to go back again soon, but now there's the whole question of, oh, I've got to take leave time to go there. Do I have enough leave time to go to India? And I don't know if it's like this, um, Diana, when you visit Mexico, but um, like two weeks is not enough. You Like jet lag is half of the two weeks. So you really need like a month, to visit India and it's hard to get a month when you're a working professional so I don't know when I'm going back but I'd like to we're
1: going I'm coming with you yeah I already told you (laughs)
2: yeah she did yep
0: (laughs) good Diana you need to to go somewhere for fun we talked about this
1: (laughs) tough
2: tough situation but one day one day I'll go for vacation for fun I try to drag Diana out every once in a while even if she doesn't want to just to remind her that it's it's good to like slow down for a second and be outside some time. <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> how often do you get to see your family Diana
1: so I usually get to see them when they come up and if if they weren't to have come up like up To Michigan I usually get to see them once a year um with because of school so I would always go like when I would get my break for the semester break I'd go visit for like a week or two because then I had so I had internships so I always had to come back to work I didn't really have like my full summer to spend with them but when they do come up I do like I will go Friday after work um so they live like near Byron Center when they come up recently so it's like an hour away and so I would drive like Friday afternoon right after work I'd go I already have everything packed in my car (laughs) I would drive straight from work and then go help them because they're working so it's like for me that's the biggest thing like to see my family I'm gonna have to work like I already it's already a given like wherever they are they're working so it's like not really a vacation it's kind of more like if I want to spend time with them I'm gonna have to work and that's just, for me, it's not a big deal. I feel like it's also stress relieving and I get to do more physical work than mental work. So it's, and I get to spend time with them. So I guess it's a, a win-win if you try to see it that way. Um, but when they do come, I they spend like three to four months when they're here. So I, I go, I try to go every weekend when I don't work. So I'm, like, my team has very, like treated me very well. I love my team where I work, um, which is why I ended up choosing them because I have um, who I consider a mentor. He doesn't know that he's my mentor, but he's my mentor. <laughs> um, So my boss has, I grew like a really good connection with him. And I feel like I definitely owed him a lot. So I felt like I needed to say yes when I got the job offer, just because he's taught me so much and I knew I could learn so much from him. But he's also very understanding of my situation. So like when my family's up here, he doesn't like, Ask me to work on weekends or whatever like he doesn't schedule me to work as much on the weekends because he knows I go work on the weekends with my family so I try to make up for it once they leave but not that they ask for it but it's kind of like I feel like I need to I don't know it's kind of that relationship that I I always feel like I need to do things even if people don't tell me to do them I feel like it's always been like that but usually when they're here, I see them every week. I make sure that I go see them every week. So even if it means I have to take cold showers and sleep on the floor, I still do it. I mean, it's time to spend with them.
0: Everything's worth it. Do you feel like your parents treat you different now because you, you're you an educated woman and you have a career?
1: Uh, I wouldn't. I don't think so. I think I've always been very immature for my age like since I was little it was the weirdest thing like I was like a little grown up when I was little and I I guess that's probably why I didn't really create any bonds with like people my age um I'd always talk to like older people or like literally old old people um just trying to listen into their advice and stuff so I always felt like I was like a little grown up you know I didn't I didn't have toys growing up I didn't play outside the like, guy I, I don't know it was the weirdest thing and I think a lot of that was because I was kind of forced into a situation where I had to grow up fast. Um, but my family has always treated me, I feel like the same. And I think that like I'm not the oldest, so I have I have eight siblings and five of them are older. <laughs> and three of them eight? Like, yeah, I have eight siblings. And oh God. I, it's crazy because I go back home and even now, or when I was younger, like, I've always felt like I'm the oldest, and I'm not, I'm not the oldest, but I feel like my siblings respect me, like, if I was the oldest, so I've I definitely, I feel like I've gained their respect over time, and I've always, or even if they don't, I think it's just, like, my attitude with, my family. <laughs> like, they just, they already know, you know, like, if I say something, that's what's gonna happen, but it's mainly because I feel like I give a lot of myself to my family, so, like, say, if I go home, I, I, tend to do everything like I don't let my family do anything like my mom I make sure my mom's well taken care of I help my dad and whatever he needs so I'm always the one helping so I feel like because I help the most or at least I see it that way my siblings are like receptive when I say like no you're gonna like my sisters will come over and I'm like okay you're gonna do the tortillas and you're gonna cook this or you're gonna wash the dishes and they don't hesitate and I'm like why are you telling me what to do you're not the oldest or whatever they never say that mainly because I do everything else and like that's, they feel like it's the least that they can do when I'm there. If that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know. I've always felt like I, my family's respected me a lot, so it's nice. It's nice.
0: <laughs> Where are you in the spectrum of the eight children?
1: <laughs> Nine with me, but um, I'm. Nine? Oh. Yeah, because I have eight siblings, and I'm I'm, but I'm number. Let me see. <laughs> number six. I'm number six.
0: So you're literally in the middle closer to the tail end but
1: yeah closer it's it's weird because like I have four older siblings like on in their 30s and then the younger ones are like 10 11 so it's like we're in a really big spectrum you know so it's i don't know it's a little weird I've always been I've always felt like the oldest so I don't really see it like I'm in towards the end type of thing. I don't know. It's a weird situation, but
0: <laughs> are your a, younger siblings
1: thinking about college? My younger siblings, they better be thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um I feel like one um the one that comes right after me, he's not inclined to education very much. He loves agriculture. He like wants to become a farmer. Um so my dad now he does farm while he's in Florida and my little my the One that's right after me, his name's is Isidro, and he, he says that's his passion. I was like, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I didn't go for my passion, but I guess if you want to, and that's something I'm like, I would be willing to support and definitely investing if he if he decides that's what he wants to do, que si la va ser, I'd be happy to like help him financially to get his goal, to get to his goal. But I've also told him like you can't just set all your eggs in one basket, you know, you gotta kind of also know that education is an option and at least do some of it. But you're not like you haven't just let all of it be a farmer and then you have no education where do you go then you're gonna work exactly end up as a worker like mom and dad so it's like we do have those tough conversations but the younger ones they're really good in school so I do I I feel like their mom I don't know it's the weirdest (laughs) thing I do check everybody's grades and I make sure that everybody's doing well and they respect me a lot so it's like they don't really like if I say something, they do it type of thing, and like I'm like that with like my nieces and nephews too. Like I go back for vacation, and they're like just leave already because I am very strict with all of them. <laughs> they, I and I know that it's not mal- like bad intention or anything, but I I definitely know that I never had anybody checking up on me. Like I didn't have anybody checking my grades or like if I got an award or whatever. My parents never had time to do any of that, and I never bothered to ask them to go you no know, like well, they're not going to be able to go it's not because they don't want to it's they they can't so it's like why am I going to go make them feel bad for not being able to go so I never really involved my family in my education in that sense but I definitely feel like I like to be involved in theirs just so that they know that
2: somebody's watching and because I got to make sure that they're doing good <laughs> but yeah And for the record, she's like that with anybody she cares about, including her (laughs) friends and stuff, too. She'll always be on you to make sure that you're doing what you need to do. I think that's her love language. So, What
0: is it? Service? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. So I'm a big foodie. um, And when I do go to Mexico, I'm just... Obviously, I'm looking forward to seeing my grandma, but it's more so the food for me. Um, What is your favorite food when, um, well, Divya, for you, like when you go back to India, like what is the first thing you want to eat once the plane lands?
2: You know, interestingly enough, um, my mom grew up. Well, as I grew up, my mom always made Indian food. I grew up eating Indian food all the time. And I'm of the humble opinion that my mom makes the best Indian food on the planet. So usually as long as I'm, you know, somewhere near her, um, whether it's in India or America, I am inclined to have her food, honestly. (laughs) Um, There is this Indian dish, South Indian dish called dosa. Um, dosa is basically like a crepe. Um, it's crispy, but crepes are usually sweet, and dosa is usually savory. So you have it with um, a bunch of sides or with a filling. The sides could be like a like a chutney that's made out of like onions and tomatoes and stuff like that, or it could be um, a lentil soup we call sambar. Um, this is all like very regional South Indian food, um, even to this day, or uh, certain like curries and stuff like that. And sometimes the dosa can be stuffed with like a masala, which has like potatoes and stuff in it. So I'm vegetarian, not all Indians are vegetarian, but, but I grew up vegetarian. And so, um, you know, that's like another thing, right? So I grew up eating like such good vegetarian food at home. And then I had to, like, go out into the world, like, go to restaurants and go to MSU and eat dorm food. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, why are you giving me salad? There's so much more to, like, being vegetarian. Cheese pizza. Bro. Seriously. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, it's like I used to tell people I'm vegetarian and they'd look at me and they're like, I'm so sorry.
0: (laughs) That's what came to mind. Am I even going to lie? Yeah.
2: Well, it's because like there's a whole world of vegetarian food. Um, a lot of Indian dishes, whether it's North Indian or South Indian, um there can be like a meat alternative and there can be a vegetarian alternative. And both are delicious, you know. Mm. So like I grew up eating really good, flavorful, like very like in-depth kinds of foods. And then I roll up to like a restaurant during an elementary school field trip and they're like, You get green beans. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, so you know I'm lucky in that sense there isn't anything like in India I guess some of the street foods are really good um that my mom doesn't make at home as much but I will say if I had to choose it's just like I don't have to go to India for that luckily I can just drive up 50 minutes down the road 45 minutes down the road and my mom will always make me a really good uh kind of heartfelt warm meal and I love that it do they oh, for me it's it's
1: very similar to Divya yeah, I'm very picky with, <laughs> with my food so it's like I like what I grew up with and I I love cooking so I usually cook my own food and I would call myself a pretty good chef I'm gonna say <laughs> but it's because I eat my own food but mainly when I go like when I go to Mexico so I recently went to visit my my grandfather who's 94 and he is like super strong still so I'm like I have to go visit him that was like my very first to-do list on like my goals for vacation wise um so I went to visit him but I think that the main thing that when I go I don't we didn't grow up like eating out so it was like eating out was like a you know it was like trash food if you're gonna eat out like it's not feeling, it's not good for your whatnot um my dad hates eating out so he hated it so we weren't allowed to go (laughs) so it it was always like that type of deal but um I don't I don't even know when I go to Mexico I don't crave anything just because I like we go and buy groceries the first thing we do is buy groceries so that we can cook just because we all know that like we have a certain taste that we like and it's when you go out to like fonditas or whatever, it's not that same taste that you grew up with. So it tastes different. Not that it's not good. It just doesn't taste what you're used to. Um, but I would definitely say Coke.
0: Coke <laughs> <is like> yes.
2: <laughs> one thing Tell that me I- why pop in different countries is so much better. Fanta and Coke in India, so much better.
1: Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they put in it. I don't know if it's like actual sugar that they put in or what it is, but Coke over there is like my top 10. Like that's like the one that I like have to get when I go, but I don't know. I think that's similar to the, we, I usually just make my own food. And when we go, we buy groceries and make food just because we are not used to like eating out. I'm not going to say I don't eat out. I do when I am lazy every once in a while, but I just. You lazy? (laughs) You? (laughs) Yeah. When I'm feeling lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Then I feel guilty. In fact, talking about guilt and laziness, um, when I was in college, I think that's another thing that I've never touched on. I couldn't, we weren't allowed to take naps growing up. So it was like, it was like a no, like you get home, you do what you have to do. You don't sleep. You only sleep when you're supposed to be sleeping. And I remember like falling asleep in my dorm one time and I was like, you know, it's regular for people to take naps. And I I just never saw the point of it. And I accidentally fell asleep. And I like remember waking up like super like panicky, nervous, not understanding why I fell asleep and like feeling like just super guilty about it. So I think I do have some sense of that where I like I feel guilty for random stuff that I guess the typical person doesn't feel guilty for doing. So I don't know. I think it's my growing up maybe
2: I don't know <laughs> do you ever feel guilty for um feeling like you want to say no to something at work or something like that
1: I think I've never really said no I I usually say yes I don't think and mainly because I'm like well it's you know it's an opportunity to learn or it's an opportunity to do this maybe that person needs it more than me I think I always just I don't know
2: I don't think I've ever said no to be honest Honestly, I say yes a lot too, um, to a lot of stuff. But in the recent past, I've kind of, kind of taken on the mentality that Floor brought up a little bit earlier about like you know doing some like extra things. And this is like I sent you a podcast last week about um non-promotable tasks. And oftentimes, you know, women and women minorities tend to get thrown into a lot of non-promotable tasks. And so I struggle to find balance with in the workplace. I, I first of all, I'd love to genuinely be involved in like everything. And like Diana said, I view it a lot as an opportunity, but sometimes I I struggle to balance like like which of this can I act do I actually have capacity for and am I able to do and am really really willing to do and would love to participate in and which of this am I doing because it's like good optics for you know the the places that I work and so sometimes like I feel like In initiatives that I'm involved in, I kind of get thrown into it because it's nice optics for people to see uh, a woman of color in those scenarios. And sometimes I struggle with like the intention behind it because like I'm very proud of everything that I've achieved, but sometimes I feel like I get reduced to like what I look like and not necessarily what I can bring to the table other than my gender and ethnic background do you ever feel that way in your respective careers
0: um I did and then I started saying no so I've been in higher ed for eight years going on nine and at first it was kind of that it it sounds like we have this thread in common where we feel like we still have to earn our keep Like, it's a privilege to have a college education and to have a really well-paying job, or I guess, like, at the time, it felt like a really well-paying job compared to maybe what our parents got paid. Um, But after a while, I guess for me, after so much of me pouring more than I should have into my job and receiving a lot of no's so interviewing for positions for higher pay title change still being told no but being asked to hire the person that they ended up hiring for those positions or just being overlooked for promotions and stuff like that after I had done all the work I was like what the fuck like what what am I supposed to do um And if it felt wrong that these things were happening and I would get upset, but I didn't know why, like, I didn't know there were terms for these things. So I, I started looking into what the differences with white people and, and with minoritized groups. And I realized that they have audacity. They have the audacity to say no, they have the nerve to speak their minds and hold you accountable for hurting their feelings and stuff. And you you got a bunch of Karens out here nowadays. So I'm like, okay, well, if that's normal in the US, why can't we say no? And I started surrounding myself with people that I was having similar conversations with, but that were doing work in diversity, equity and inclusion. And there's terminology for a lot of these things now. So um, earlier you mentioned, if you get chosen or asked, to, or told to be in this project. And you feel like it's because you're an Indian woman, it's because you're being tokenized. So no one's gonna tell you like, hey, we need an Indian woman in this project. They're not gonna tell you that because legally they probably can't. But if if your gut is telling you, they probably told me to be in here because of of these reasons, then it's probably because you're being tokenized. Um. So for me, I had to learn when to say yes. If it's something that they're not going to pay me extra for, and I genuinely do not want to do it, then I say no. Or if I do want to do it, then I'll ask them, are you going to pay me a stipend? And if they say no, then at that point, I choose whether I want to move forward or not. And in some cases, it, it kind of sheds a bad light on you, or you might feel like, oh, now you're being rebellious, but in the same breath, if you're saying no and you're asking for pay and you're saying no because they're not paying you, then they're going to think twice about asking someone else to do the same task for free. So it kind of puts you in uh, in this like martyrship situation, but I'm like at a point where I don't care. Like I, I don't care. Um, I don't care because my, my work is high quality I don't go to work just to get a paycheck. I know I'm touching lives. I'm, I'm working with young people and I'm providing, I'm leading by example. And me being a Latina in higher ed and knowing that we're not, our students aren't graduating at the same rate because of these obstacles, then I know I have to work two times harder to dismantle the racism and the oppression that they have to experience. So with me, showing them you can say no, they're gonna go into the workplace and be able to say no. So there's, I think we forget that there's a lot of um, legal statutes in place that also protect us as employees that maybe our parents didn't have or they still might not have, but we have them. And our employers know that they're there, but they also probably assume that we don't know that they are there. So they take advantage of of the ignorance. So for me, like I, I felt like I was privileged to have a job for a while. And once I learned that they were privileged to have me as well, I just became more assertive. And I was like, no, and I just, I started taking up space because we deserve to be there. It's not so much that we're privileged to have the position. It's they're also privileged to have our, our perspectives too. And we earned, we already did the work we did the degree, we went to school, we did the interview, we we landed the job. So like you gave us this job, yes, but we also earned our way already in there. So there's no more, like for me, I'm like, I don't have to keep earning my keep because I I did it already. Like you gave me the job, I signed the contract, I'm here. Right. Yeah,
2: that that point about like being tokenized, the word I didn't um put together, but something that I kind of feel about that sometimes is I'm like, there's so much power in seeing someone like you in a position that you aspire to be, right? And sometimes even knowing that I might be good for optics in certain scenarios. um, Also, genuinely, I think that I can impact change in those places. But I think sometimes I take it because it's important for people following me to be able to see that there is space for us um, wherever it might be. And, you know, if, if, if me being the person that people go to for certain scenarios to, like, have representation or whatever is what it takes to actually have representation in the future, I think I'm okay with that.
0: Just make sure you get paid, girl. Because emotional yeah, labor yeah, is yeah, also yeah. a thing.
2: <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And I'm very lucky to belong to an organization that um, that does value everyone's time and compensates everyone equally. I think that's one benefit of working in the private or in the public sector is like everything's super transparent. Everything needs to be documented because I do work for the government, you know. And so stuff like that is very accessible as well, and I think, like, paid transparency is something that we have in the government that a lot of people don't have in private industry and stuff like that, because, um, like, I know that if I have these con- credentials and this experience, and generally, so long as no one discriminates upon me in the in the process, um, that a certain level of success can be achieved, and I think a lot of a lot of private places should adopt that, um, that mentality as well, and make sure that people know, you know, how much you should be, um, compensated for doing certain things. I forgot the
0: question. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: was it, like saying no to things we were talking about.
0: Like feeling guilty for saying no.
2: Okay. I think I already answered them, right? I think I was the first one to
0: <laughs> Yeah, we had um we had a very brief conversation about this with Diana and and her her friend when we met for the author or the co-author meeting, because they were talking about how they felt guilty for taking the that Friday off. Uh, and I was like, "Why would you feel guilty for taking the Friday off? Like you had to drive all the way out here like and you know you get paid. I'm sure you have like paid time off or something, so take the day, you know um sometime and I had this conversation yesterday. I forgot with who with a friend that came to visit, and I was telling them that my sister works with my mom at an elementary school and if my sister takes the day off, my mom will call right away, like, mija, where are you? Why didn't you show up to work? And it's like this this fear that you're going to get fired. And I'm like, well, one, I'm glad I don't work with family. But the other part, I <laughs> told them that there were a couple times where my mom would randomly call me like during her lunch. And she's like, oh, are you working today? And I sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I am. Or sometimes I'd be like, no, I took the day. And she'd be like, what do you mean you took the day? And I'm like. I took the damn day and she's like, why are you feeling sick? And I'm like, no, I just didn't want to go. <laughs> didn't want to go. I wanted to just relax, you know? Um, and then I I have the privilege of being able to work remote on some days. So on those days, I usually just wake up a little later or I'll wake up on time, but I'll like get a workout in and then I start on work. And I just, I try to keep my work-life balance As balanced as possible because I'm also in school. But I'm trying to also show my parents that if you don't have the mental capacity to go to work and you have paid time off and you can call in sick, you don't physically have to be ill for you to use the day. And in some cases, you don't even have to give the reason. At first, I would say, like, hey, I'm feeling so sick today. I woke up with a cough and I'm lying my ass off. But I I felt like I had to give my manager an excuse. But when I started working with the union at the previous job I was at, I was reading through all the, the protocols or whatever, and nowhere did it say on there for our sick time that we have to give a reason. You just have to let your supervisor know, hey, I'm using a sick day, I'll be back, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. So I'm like, why am I over here divulging my life for a sick day, you know? So since then, I'm just like, I'm going to be out today. I'll see you all tomorrow type of thing. And I do the same thing with my manager now. I text them like, hey, I'm going to use sick day today. I should be in the office tomorrow. And that's it. I don't give them one. And at that point, I'm not lying. And I don't feel guilty for doing that because I have the days there. So I'd rather just rest unapologetically. So that way, when I go back to work, I'm not giving my students any attitude or half-assing anything because I'm tired. So I'm trying to get my my parents to have a kind of like the same mentality because they've been working so long. My mom is in her sixties. My dad is in his fifties. They're not talking about retiring at all. I know they're tired. Like if I'm tired, I know they're tired. So I'm like, girl, if, you're, if you don't wanna go to work, Take the damn day. So it's it's that's habit. like a
2: a very yeah like a habit like you said. So I'm lucky to get paid time off to take for normal stuff, whatever PTO, and then I get a dedicated balance of sick time, um, and that's accrued at the same rate. And I've got like this huge bank of sick time that's just sitting there, and my colleagues are always telling me, use it to go to your doctor's appointments, use it for these things. And I don't know what it is about the way that my brain works. I just don't use sick time. I schedule my appointments for after work hours, I or like on the weekends, or, you know, I just don't use sick time. I think I use like, one or two days earlier this year when I came down with COVID unfortunately but um but I don't use sick time and my colleagues are like that's what it's there for you've got to use it and I just haven't you know put two and two together on that and I do take my other PTO leave time for when you know, I have things going on. I'm not shy to take a three-day weekend. If my friends are getting married or I'm going somewhere for a weekend and I need that extra day, then I'll take that extra day. I'm not shy about taking that PTO, but I've never taken a day off just because I like, don't feel up to it or anything like that. And I, I don't know. I think it's just the environment that I grew up in. My mom is a very hard worker. Um, she has worked seven days a week since 2008. Um, Seven days? Seven days a week since 2008. Um, Day in and day out. Oh my god, if I have any semblance of a work ethic, it's because of my mom. But um, just to be able to provide like a good solid life for me and my sister. And I'm so grateful of that but I think some of those tendencies not the seven days a week but some of those tendencies have come down to me and that I think not taking sick leave is one of them I'll be like I get really really bad cramps when I'm on my period like I am down and out for the count I like go white I'm almost about to pass out I'll still be sitting at work you know like I don't know why I do this to myself but that's just what I do
0: I dare you. I dare the both of you. Just randomly. And it's the beginning of December. Randomly this month. Call in sick. Just call in sick. <laughs> and if it's just you watching Netflix in bed all fucking day. See that the world is not going to fall off its spear. There will still be work there. Trust me. Like, And that's, that's the part that I had to realize. I, get, I used to get so scared, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go back, and there's going to be so much work. And then I, work, I have my caseload of students is 117, so it just so happens that they have an emergency every fucking time that I'm out. But I had to realize, like, if it's in a, in a life or death situation, I can't help you anyway. Call 911. I'm out. The work is going to be there, whether you're there or not. And it took for me to burn out twice because of work and just my mental health. A lot of, um, a lot of my childhood experiences were surfacing, and and it, in my brain, it's like it could be worse, right? It, I didn't go through um, very very traumatic experiences. Like there are a lot of people out there that have suffered or that have experienced like rape and stuff like that mine wasn't like a sexual abuse or anything like that mine was more of like an emotional abuse codependency um pessimism like all these things started surfacing because of how i was raised and in my head it was like it was normal my parents are very loving they did their best um but i don't think we realize the impact of our parents child rearing until we realize it and then when we realize it it fucking slaps you in the face. So I after experiencing so many microaggressions and feeling like I was working so hard for nothing. And I got my master's degree and I finished, I felt like I wasn't working towards anything. So I it I guess there's like this like post graduation depression thing. So all these things happened at once and I burnt out from work because I kept fighting with people at work all the time. I was involved, heavily involved with the union. I was always advocating for scholarships that were open to all students. Um, It was just like all this, I, I was exhausted. I was mentally, emotionally exhausted. And I started using my sick time and then I ran out. And at that point I realized like, you fucking hate it here, why are you still here? And I had to ask myself that question, but it's like, It's also in our culture that once we find a job, we don't leave it. You're, you're kind of there for an eternity. And I'm like, why girl? (laughs) Like I had a whole conversation in my head with myself. Like, why would you go to school to get a degree? And then you still go to school to get another degree for you to feel like you're anchored to this one institution. And when I told my mom, that I was planning on leaving, she's like, Miha, why would you do that? It's a good job. Like they pay you well and you get a salary. And I'm like, cause I fucking hate it there. I'm like, I hate it. They don't like me. Like, why am I going to stay here? I'm not growing. They're not, you know, pushing me forward. If anything, like they're anchoring me, I need to go. So I left, I left financial aid. I'm in academic advising now. Um, and I've liked the. For a little bit now i'm kind of on the same boat but i'm trying to finish my doctorate and my students are the ones that are keeping me feeling fulfilled because i'm seeing them go through classes they're they're very close to graduation too um, but i have these conversations with them like if at any point you don't like your job anymore you have this piece of paper that will get you to another job like don't feel forced to stay there just because your parents are telling you to, or because a part of you feels guilty that you now have a privilege that maybe your parents didn't, you know? So when I was looking through all this stuff, I learned about success guilt. I had stopped telling my parents about awards I was was getting or promotions or even this co-authorship of the book. I didn't want to tell them until it was done, but it slipped. And it wasn't until my mom had came to my house and she saw one of my awards in my sunroom where she's like, Miha, why didn't you tell me about this? And I was like, I don't know. But I knew in my head, I felt guilty. I didn't want to feel like I was rubbing it in anyone's face that I was doing all these great things. Um, But then I had to think about it too. My parents probably feel proud when they hear about these accomplishments, because it's also a reflection of their sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So um, my fiance had asked me to like, why don't you ever tell your parents about all these things that you're doing? And I'm like, cause I don't wanna feel like a show off. But after a lot of inner dialogue, I had to realize that when we're going to school, getting this, these degrees and we're, we're paving the way we're struggling, It's also like our parents are vicariously experiencing that whole thing through us. So I'm like, it's kind of fucked up if I keep all these things to myself because then my parents can't feel proud. They can't feel like they did a good job and that all of my hard work is also a reflection of their parenting. Um, But I mean, even with all that stuff, we focus so much on academics. We focus so much on going through school to get a job that we forget that there's a whole other part of life. And for me, that shit caught, it caught me off guard. I burnt out. I had to go to, I had to get counseling for me to then get on family medical leave so that I wouldn't lose my job. Mm -hmm. And then through counseling, because I had to go, I was talking to my therapist and I'm over here like, I'm not going to learn anything here. And then this dude like asked me these very targeted questions. And I'm just like, who did you talk to? Like, how do you know about my life? Um, but, you know, I felt good because it was it was validating for him to tell me like these things that you felt and these things that you experienced, you normalize them, but they're not normal. And it's okay for you to feel upset and it's okay for you to be tired or, you know, whatever was coming up for me. Um, I went to my sessions and through my sessions, I got the nerve to start looking for another job like he made it okay for me he's like that job has you burnt out fuck that job go find another one otherwise you're going to be miserable so I left and I almost got to the same boat with this job but I kind of started seeing the signs early on So I sought his help. I didn't go through a family. I just went back to therapy, and other things had surfaced from my childhood that were kind of connected to my job. So now he was like, you know, you need to leave that place. But he's like, you're you're very reflective and you're really good at compartmentalizing. So that's the other part. We we get really good at compartmentalizing where we're like, okay, my mom said this, but We're giving her the benefit of a doubt. We're going to put that in this drawer. And my manager said this, but we're not going to do with that today. We're going to put that in this drawer. I'm going to go to the gym, you know? So you just kind of like start putting all these experiences away. But he's like, at one point, all the drawers are going to be full. And it's going to be so full that the entire thing is going to fall apart. And then at that point, you have no compartmentalization. What the fuck are you going to do? So... He made me realize that I was putting so much effort into my dissertation, so much emotional effort into my family and work. And even I teach Zumba on Fridays. And he's like, even though you're physically doing something for Zumba, you're still giving, like you're going, but you're teaching. So it's like, you're still providing a service to someone else. What are you doing for yourself? he's like part of the burnout is because you, you're you not doing anything for yourself. So when he made me realize that I was like, damn, like I thought I was, I was able to finesse, like I'm going to the gym <laughs> by teaching Zumba. He's like, but you still feel obligated sometimes. And he's like, when you're doing something for yourself, there's no obligation. It's, it's you like you pick up a book, you're reading it because you enjoy it and you want to. And if tomorrow you don't want to, you put it down and nothing happens. Like you don't feel any guilt. So now having burnt out twice, I, I've i tried really hard to at least start off the day with myself. So like the alarm goes off and I'll, sometimes I'll wake up right away. Sometimes I'll be like, okay, another five minutes or whatever, but I don't feel guilty for doing that. Or I'll lay there and I'll just kind of like lay there and think about the day and try to find something that i'm excited about so that i'm looking forward to it if i take the train i'm listening to it's mostly like a tone. So I'll be listening to like bad bunny or something but in my head like i'm having fun you know um i genuinely enjoy reading fiction so even though i have all this academic stuff that i read for my dissertation i forced myself to pick up a book for fun so i'm on my third book now for this year which sounds really terrible for me because i usually read a book, at least one book a month, but it's more than what I expected to do because I wasn't reading for fun at all. So I, I, I'm i telling y'all, take the damn day because it will catch up. It will. I hope it doesn't, but it will. I will say
2: just generally, I don't necessarily feel like overworked or anything, which is a really big blessing. Um, I think that kind of drawing back to something you mentioned earlier about toxic positivity or whatever. um, Yeah, similar background. I was always taught to be grateful for what you have and not to necessarily focus on what you don't have. Um, And I think that Although it is really important to take stock of what you don't have or what you need um, for yourself, and I certainly do quite a bit of that, I think keeping it in check um, with gratefulness. I like to practice the things that I'm grateful for, and I like to count all the things that I'm grateful for. to, as to not like get into that nihilist nothing matters we're all just here like what even is the point because you know I feel like if you kind of sit in that um, you can kind of get there very quickly so I like to practice gratefulness for the things that I have acknowledging that yeah things may not be perfect um, but rather than I guess like taking the day or whatever um, I do I agree with you. I think it's really important to do things for yourself. For me, it's playing video games, uh, doing yoga. I'm a big yoga girly. Um, So I grew up doing Indian classical dance. And now I do more of hot yoga, except my hot yoga studio closed down without notice last week. And I'm kind of depressed about that. But (laughs) um, I'll have to find a new one. But I think they played similar roles for me that like that was a place where I could go. And like not think about anything I would check in and check out for an hour and not think of anything just like really just exist like truly and authentically in that moment um and not be thinking about what else I have to do what I'm doing tomorrow what's on my calendar for tomorrow uh, what do I have after work tomorrow what do I need to take care of am I driving to Auburn house to visit my mom you know like like all that and for all that information I just get to put it away um, you know, and sometimes it's me just like laying in bed. Sometimes it's me playing video games. Sometimes it's me like going out and getting sushi or whatever it is, or like doing a self-care night. Um, I'm trying to get Diana on like self-care and skincare and stuff like that, because that's like a couple of minutes that you can practice for yourself every day, even like getting up in the morning and getting ready and taking some time for me to like get ready is something I do for myself um I've always really liked it my family always used to give me crap because they'd be like you're taking forever and the thing is I can get ready quickly but I choose not to because that's my <laughs> me time I know it sounds like bs but I'm but I'm serious like I would rather relish in like the one hour of getting ready, putting on the music, taking time to do my hair and makeup or whatever. Um, so I think it's important to to take that time for yourself in whatever you know sphere it looks like. Um, to realize that, like yes, uh, like you mentioned, taking up space at work, you kind of have to take up space for yourself too. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet (laughs) (laughs) have you been doing the skincare we we started yeah well I (laughs) I
1: think the main thing for me is just like the the whole maybe I I don't I don't know like I feel like it's like if I'm not doing something because it's gonna benefit someone or something in my life like I I just don't know what the purpose of it like I have to find purpose in it like similar mm-hmm. to the gym like I get it it's it's supposed to be healthy you know you're getting out I'm like I don't like exercising <laughs> like and why am I gonna, why am I gonna pay people for me to exercise like for me the biggest thing is also like maybe it's because I grew up like not financially stable but I like I refuse to give somebody money when I can just do it here not that I'm actually going to do it, but like <laughs> stuff like that, like I'm like, no, I can use that money for something more useful. Like I have to find it useful and it not necessarily be like just benefiting me. Like if it's going to benefit, I love giving gifts. I don't know. It's for that. no me adolece. But when it's for myself, I feel like I always feel like, no, you don't really need that. Like that's, mm. you know, I, I think that that's where I'm stuck and I don't think I've ever been able to get out of there and I don't feel like I can get out until I like, willingly want to get out, you know, and I feel like that's at a point in my life, I don't feel like I want to. And that's why it hasn't happened. I feel like I just, I give a lot of myself to others. And if it's like a, for a purpose for something else, then yeah, I'm like, I I feel like, like it's un compromiso and I have to like stand by my word. If I said yes, I'm going to do it, um, stuff like that. And if it's for someone else, I'm happy to spend two, three hours to help somebody. But if it's for myself, I'm like, no, you can use that time for something more useful. So I think I'm still stuck in that. I don't I don't know. I'm not there yet.
0: (laughs) So what do you do? I know you you work a lot, but obviously you're not working 24 hours. So when you're not sleeping and you're not at work, what are you doing?
1: I usually I spend a lot of time cooking and sometimes I like make pastries for like my coworkers, you know I'm like oh they'd be happy to have like a cookie <laughs> or stuff like that so I usually like make desserts for them and take stuff in for them so and that way yeah, I cooking justify the fact that I'm like not just cooking for myself I don't I don't know there always has to be a reason why I do it I don't,
2: but yeah you're very you're very purpose driven you're very service oriented we mentioned it earlier I think that's her love language. Um, But I think maybe on your journey to maybe recognizing that it maybe you need to set time aside for yourself. It's like service for yourself, right? Because I really think everybody has a battery to some degree. Um, Maybe you haven't reached that capacity yet. And that is really good. But, um, But it's what I've realized is if I can't be 100, I can't give 150, Um, which is what I like to give. I like to be wholly, you know, invested in whatever I'm doing and wherever I am. And when I'm not my best, people can tell, like I'll roll up into the office and I'll be quiet one day. People will be like, are you okay? Because it's it's just not like me to do that. And, you know, sometimes I'll be like, you know, today's not really like a, a great day. I'm not feeling that great. I'm not, you know, whatever, but like people notice people notice your energy. Like I recently transferred to the Detroit office. I was in a rotational program at the department, um, prior to, but I transferred to this office in May and I'm still in the process of like getting to know all my coworkers in this office and like socially integrating with them and whatnot. But, um, A couple months ago, I just like was not having a super great day. I just wanted to go into the job, like do my work and leave. I usually like stop by everyone that I see, like check in with them, say hi, how are they doing? Genuinely, because I like want to know about them and their lives and their stories and whatever they'd like to share with me. Um, but I guess I walked by one of our administrative assistants a couple times to go to the bathroom, and I walked back, and I didn't think much of it, but um, the next day that I saw this individual, they were like, I felt like things were really off the other day. You always say hi when you walk by my desk, Uh, and I was like, okay, first of all, why are you paying that much attention? Second of all, like, oh, wow, people do really, like, feel your energy when you're, like, existing, I guess, so I think that's what it is, is I've realized that, like, people, uh, maybe I don't give people enough credit how perceptive they are with things that are going on. And so if I can't give 150% that day, it's being transparent with them saying that I can't. Um, but also recognizing that there are things that I can do to like recharge myself. Like I've had a couple really busy weeks um, and yesterday, all I did was sleep. Like I, I woke up, I took like a one hour break from sleeping like five different <laughs> times and I just slept for the rest of the day.
0: No wonder you're feeling all rejuvenated today. Yeah, I am.
2: I'm, I'm a new
1: woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, um, do, do either of you have any last words?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, we kind of went all over the place today. Well, thank you, first of all, for having us and For chatting. It was a good conversation. I'm not really sure if we like touched on everything you wanted to touch on today, but I think there were good things we discussed anyway. And I guess kind of going back to like women in engineering, I guess, because that was the original um, prompt. (laughs) I would say maybe if anybody is trying to pursue a career in that space, where it is a male dominated industry, I'm not going to lie and say that it's 100% great all the time. Sometimes you get passed up for things that really you deserve um, because people feel like you can't do something or you shouldn't do something. It does happen. But if it's something that you want to do, um, do it. Don't let those people, you know, tell you you can't and This may not have been the case two decades ago. There are more and more women entering this industry every single day. I'm so lucky to know people like Diana who are also in the engineering space. And we serve as a community to one another. And it's growing every single day. And if you're considering being a part of that space, there are those people um, that are out there for, you know, for advice, uh, for... Um, just sometimes to commiserate, sometimes to just, you know, understand what you're going through. I would say it's not necessarily easy all the time, but it is worth it. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback
1: off of what you said. I think that that's, like, if there's anything that I could tell anyone, I think it's, if you're gonna, if you wanna do something, like you said, do it. Um, but don't let others question why you're doing it i mean everybody has a reason of why they're doing something whether it's economic um passion whatever it is you have your reason and stick by your reason i don't think anybody has a right to judge why you're doing what you're doing um because i do get judged a lot for saying like oh you don't love your job like i'm sorry but do you pay my bills like no like it doesn't (laughs) don't let people judge why you're doing what you're doing um, because you're doing it for a reason, whether it's your family or, or whatnot. But I also think that be careful who you surround yourself with. Because I'm lucky and very grateful to meet, have met Flor, who I like genuinely connected right away. I don't know, I saw her, and I'm like, I want to know who she is. <laughs> and Vivian, of course, I am very honored to have met Vivian through a friend. But I think that that, that it's not always easy to pick and choose and if you see somebody trying to take advantage of you um step away be okay with stepping away because you shouldn't allow somebody to use you so that they could get props for either being your mentor or being whatever just because you you're in a space where there's people that don't look like you i think that that's my biggest thing i i i can't with people that try to take advantage of other people and i would if that's one thing that i can tell people don't don't let that happen to you and if you see it happening do something about it don't let it drag on
0: period that 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 interaction with with diana and i was actually really funny cuz i have very chronic arresting bitch face <laughs> And when we had to go up to share our story for this author thing, I was like, fuck. <laughs> like I was not mentally prepared. And I'm I'm one that I always push people like, you need to sleep. You need to sleep your, you know, seven to ten hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. That day I was running on like four hours of sleep. Good. I had gone to work. Um, I didn't take the day that day because I also I'm an adjunct professor. And the way our classes are structured, our student, like for my class, they, I only see them once a week.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: if I cancel class, that's basically a whole week's worth of content. Um, so I didn't want to cancel that day. So I, I just showed up a little later to work, but I drove to work. I live in Northwest Indiana. So I drove to downtown Chicago and in my head, I was already mentally prepared for a long day because then from there, I would drive to Aurora, Illinois for the the meeting or whatever but no one said that we were gonna have to share out about our experiences and whatever and then I'm like running on low sleep everyone's it's awkward at first you know because no one knew each other and then I don't know where everyone's crying because people are sharing about their experiences and I'm just like why (laughs) why why Um yeah, so one of the interactions with Diana, she was like, you know, people usually say that I have an attitude problem. (laughs) And I I mean, I'm very um, I'm very direct and I'm very assertive. And when I'm uncomfortable, like when there's too much crying going on, it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like to cry in front of strangers, Mm
2: -hmm. even
0: if it's for this book. Like I just I don't like to. That's still something that I'm trying to grow, not grow out of, but I guess heal from. I feel like I call it my toxic masculinity as a woman. <laughs> um, because crying is a sign of weakness, is is what I was raised, the mentality I was raised in. So my go-to is to make people laugh. Like, okay, like I'm done with this crying shit. I'm gonna come up here and we're gonna laugh about something. So I forgot what I oh, I said that I was uncomfortable going to begin with, because My experiences with other Latina, like professional Latinas, hasn't been all that great. It's been very competitive, um, like catty, like it's just, it hasn't been very welcoming. And I was like, I I wasn't prepared to do this like emotional speech or whatever. Um, So when I was sharing out my, whatever I was sharing afterwards then, (laughs) I was like, You know, I always get told about my attitude problems, so I really like you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was cool because then we were we were talking for a while, and then um, they pulled us to the side to autograph our books or whatever, and I got to learn a lot more about Diana. Um, but it was it, it I always get um, I feel very privileged when I meet other women, especially women. Of color that are in other spaces because I'm in higher ed all the time, every day, and I see women all the time. Um, the representation still isn't there, but I'm at least by other women. So when I when I meet people that are in engineering or in medicine, but mostly like with the engineering part, I was more impressed because even with in the medical field, you still have a lot of female nurses. There's a lot more women doctors now than there were than there were before. Uh, and obviously the teaching industry is predominantly women. Um, So when I met Diana and then I met her friend and they were talking about their jobs, I was just over here like, I'm just so surprised. Like I just, it was just, it was cool. Um, So yeah, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity from the book to be able to meet Diana. And then now I met you. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you both made some time from your sleep schedules in the weekend (laughs) and from work (laughs) to spend, I think it's been like almost two hours now. Um, so that my, my listeners and my viewers now can get meet you both. So I know, um, Divya, you said we went all over the place. That's, that's the part that I fucking love about this podcast. So usually they're like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, whatever comes up. Cause you know we walk around with these titles, but no one gets to kind of see the human side. Like what does just everything outside of work look like? So this is the part where this is why I call my listeners metiches. So metiches nosy, mm-hmm. but I say it with love because it's it, it kind of gives you that metiche vibe. Like you're you're being a little nosy in in hearing about the individual's lives. Like what's going on outside of what you post on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, but you're doing it out of love because they're they're listening and they're watching because they genuinely are curious or they genuinely care about what I have to say, um, and then what you all have to say at this point. So um I appreciate you both. And Indiana's not that far from Michigan, so hopefully we can meet up at some point. Um, Diana, I know you don't have no social media, but you do have LinkedIn, right? <laughs> um so if it's okay for my listeners to um add you all at least on linkedin in case they have questions about the engineering world or even you know going to school in michigan is it okay if they add you of course yes yeah.
2: you know all I'm right. a person of service if they need something I'm <laughs> there <they're done. laughs> exactly <laughs> just just say it especially if you're one of Flo's listeners
0: we're there <laughs> thank you all right so my teachers y'all heard I'm going to post their um, handles on my Instagram. So make sure that if you have a Sobrina out there or somebody that is interested in the field or just, you know, wants to know a little more about the whole industry um, or if you even have an opportunity where they can come and speak because, you know, Diana likes to rehearse her speeches and whatever, Um, you know, hit them up. And I appreciate you both, like I said. So um, I will be posting this and I'll send you all the link. And it will have a video. So hopefully it comes out good, right? Um, but yeah, thank you all. Um, this was Como La Flor Con Flor. And I had Vivia and Diana today. I will catch y'all next time. Oh shit! I'm gonna have to cut that part out, unit. How do I stop recording all oh,